Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come running up to you. We fall down on our knees before you. And we ask for your help. Please speak. Please don't let us go away empty. Please open our ears to hear and our hearts to embrace what you would have us here today. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> our passage today is Mark 10, 17 through 31. And I invite you to find it in a pew Bible or on your phone and follow along if you'd like. Mark 10, 17 through 31. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. 
but many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. This is the word of the Lord. Beloved Pillar community, I invite you to come alongside the man in our story who, as he was setting out on a journey, ran up to Jesus, dropped to his knees. Today, right now, on this first Sunday in the season of Lent, let's stop with him and enter the presence of Christ. As we do, let's listen for three Lenten gifts, three blessings for the road that Jesus offers us in this story. A question to ask, a challenge to take up, and a promise to receive. Let's start with the question to ask. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There is a disarming directness to this question. Just before today's story, Mark describes Jesus welcoming little children and urging his followers to be like them. This rich man's question is childlike. Here's an example that may help to illustrate what I mean. One night this fall, in the middle of the night, David and I were lying there blissfully sleeping when we heard a low bellowing coming from our three-year-old daughter, Elizabeth's room. I want chocolate. (laughs) We sort of just like hoped it would stop and she would go back to sleep, but no. I want chocolate. I want chocolate. Children are often pretty in touch with what they want. And they let you know, like Elizabeth, like a little child, the rich man knows what he wants, and he's not afraid to ask for it, however inconvenient the time or awkward the circumstance. And Jesus doesn't mind. It's always a good time to bring our desires to God taking our longings to God, however imperfect they may be, is a sign of spiritual life. Jesus welcomes that. He loves that. Jesus says, let the little children come unto me. So let's ask with this man, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's a childlike simplicity to this question. But there's also an expansiveness to this question. Elizabeth says, I want chocolate. But this man says, I want eternal life. Eternal life. 
by definition, eternal doesn't just mean something temporary, like the short-lived sugar spike of a piece of candy. Eternal life is a life that will last, something that will endure, something we can treasure forever. An eternal life, life, what a wide embrace that word has. Survival, flourishing, fulfillment, fruit. Few words are more capacious and universal. Life. That's what we want for Israel, for Palestine, for Ukraine, and for all people the world over. The word life is big enough to capture our personal longings, too. This rich man seeks a sense of purpose, direction, the chance to make a meaningful contribution. Can you hear your own desires in this question? We want peace, joy, well-being for the world and for ourselves. We want to access the wellspring of life. So let's ask with this man, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This question is not just an okay question. It's a great question worth asking for all of us. So with this rich man, let's take our longings to Jesus this Lent. Let's come aside alongside him and ask, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. So that's the question this story invites us to ask. Now let's consider the challenge to take up. What does Jesus say in response to the rich man's query? Well, first, he redirects the man's attention Why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. The rich man had asked what he had to do to inherit eternal life, how he should be good. But Jesus shifts a man's attention to God as the ultimate source of goodness. He continues, You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor father and mother. But the man pushes further. This reply seems too obvious. Teacher, I've kept all of these since my youth. Tell me something I don't know already, Jesus. Give me a challenge. I'm ready for the next level. Jesus looks at this eager, earnest, longing man, and his heart brims over with love. Okay. Go. Sell what you own. And give the money to the poor. Then, come. Follow me. What an invitation. Jesus makes a big ask. I want you, all that you are, all that you have. 
Jesus' response is forceful. It's exacting. It's personal. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Go, sell, give, come, follow. These are imperatives. And the command is not partial. It's total. Not sell your coat, but sell what you own. And Jesus commands not just a nice thought or a good deed, but personal presence. Come here. Join me. Go. Sell what you own. Give the money to the poor. Then come. Follow me. Some Christians have taken this command quite literally. Consider the 4th century Egyptian monk, Anthony, now known as the father of Christian monasticism. One day, on his way to church, Anthony was reflecting on how the apostles left all they had to follow Jesus. And then, as he entered the sanctuary, he heard these words, Go and sell what you own, give the money to the poor, then come, follow me. We read in an early account of Anthony's life that he, quote, went out immediately from the church and gave the possessions of his forefathers to the villagers. All the rest that was movable, he sold. And having got together much money, he gave it to the poor, end quote. Anthony's story inspired countless others over the course of centuries to renounce their wealth, give it to the poor, and embark on a life of radical asceticism. Over the course of church history, we see Christian monasticism repeatedly acting as a source of renewal, revival, and reform in the church. Anyone heard of Martin Luther? He started out as a monk. He came out of monasticism. That's just one example. What does Jesus challenge mean for us today? Go, sell what you own, give the money to the poor, then come, follow me. Sometimes it helps to break a big challenge into smaller parts. First, there's renunciation. Sell what you own. Then there's generosity. Give the money to the poor. And finally, there's fellowship. Come, follow me. Give up what is yours. Give out to others. And give in to God's love. It's a little cheesy, but hopefully it will help. What might God be calling you to give up this Lent? What do you own? What is precious to you? What are you keeping to yourself that could be given away? Maybe God is calling us to give up something that's not good for others or for ourselves. Maybe there's something we need to give up that is blocking us from giving to others. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's a root of bitterness 
or resentment or fear that's growing and eating away invisibly at us inside. Maybe what God is asking of us is as simple as putting down our phones or releasing the desire to impress. Jesus says, don't hold on to that. We can let him release us from the hurt, from the fear, from the anger, from the sin, from the shame. Maybe, maybe you hear this and you say, okay, sell what you own. I can't sell that, that bad thing. No one wants to buy that. No one even wants to see that. But Jesus will take it. He will buy it from you. He is the man of sorrows. He knows the utter humiliation and shame of the cross. He will buy all our sin and hurt and shame and dirt and mess. Who would want to buy that? Jesus would. He will buy it with his life. That's why he came. So, sell what you own. Jesus will buy it from you. Don't keep it buried deep inside. Don't let it fester. Sell what you own. Release it. Dig it out. Trade it in. Give it up. Or maybe there's something good that God is calling us to do more to share. What do you own? Maybe it's money. Or maybe you say with Peter and John, silver and gold have I not. What do you have? Time? Energy? Influence? Hands to help? An ear to listen? We all have the gift of a unique, beautiful, personal presence, and we can share that. The Lord has given talents to each and every one of us. Have you given up what is yours, given it out to others? Or are you afraid to? Is your treasure buried deep in the ground where it feels safe and protected, under control? What might God be calling you to give up and give out this Lent? Jesus says, let go, let go. Give it up to God. Give it out to others. Be generous. Give away your gifts to those in need of them. Go. Sell what you own and give it to the poor. And then there's fellowship. How is God calling you to give in to his love? Sometimes I find it's easy to think of time with God, devotions, scripture reading, prayer, as something that's about initiative on our part. It's something that we need to get going and we need to make happen. 
What if we think about time with God a little differently, more as a surrender, as something to fall into, letting God's gravity pull us in? God is already calling us to come close. Our part is just to respond, leaning in, listening, being attuned to the shepherd's voice, going with the flow of the Holy Spirit, letting God draw us in. Jesus says, come, follow me. Let's come alongside the rich man. Let's hear Jesus issuing his challenge to us. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor. Then come, follow me. And let's listen for how God might be calling us to respond. What should we give up? What can we give out? How can we give in to God's love for us? That's a challenge to take up as we come alongside the rich man. And what about the third gift offered to us in this passage? The promise to receive. Apparently, the challenge Jesus put before the rich man was too great for him. We read, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. We can imagine Jesus shaking his head ruefully as he says, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. One might think that at least the fishermen among the disciples who were poor would find this conclusion encouraging. But even they are perplexed. Jesus presses in. He says again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Again, Jesus' pronouncements do not raise the morale of the disciples. They exclaim, then who can be saved? The rich man thinks he can't do it. Jesus himself acknowledges that doing what he said is next to impossible for the rich man. And if even a rich person with the benefit of a personal audience with Jesus seemingly can't be saved, then things look grim for the rest of us. But then Jesus responds with a promise. With human beings, it is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. In the past, I had thought that this verse was saying that God can do what's impossible for human beings. And that is true. God can do what is impossible for human beings. But I don't think that that's the point that Jesus is trying to get across here. What Jesus emphasizes is a little more subtle. Bear with me as I explain just a little bit. I will use some Greek, just a little bit. The NRSV translates, for 
For, for God, all things are possible. The Greek word the NRSV translates as for is para. But para's basic meaning is alongside, parallel to, with. Here in the dative case, and this is the most technical I will get, its meaning has to do with position, being alongside in the sense of being in the presence of, being with. So the point is not just that all things are possible for God. The point is that all things are possible for us when we are alongside God, in the presence of God, when we are with God. The promise Jesus makes is that no challenge is too great when we have God at our side. God is so incredibly powerful that he can transfer his power to us, not only for God, but for human beings with God. Nothing is impossible. This Lent, let's come alongside the rich man. Let's ask with him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's take up Jesus' challenge. Go. Sell what you own and give it to the poor. Then come, follow me. Give up what is yours, give it out to others, and give in to God's love. And then let's receive a promise. With human beings, it's impossible, but not alongside God. Alongside God, all things are possible. I hope you can take these three gifts with you today, the question to ask, the challenge to take up, and the promise to receive. But before we come to the table, let me tie these three gifts together. Our story today ends with a famous final pronouncement. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This statement sums up Jesus' upending of human hierarchies. The rich man asks how to get his inheritance. Jesus calls him to give the poor their inheritance. In the end, the rich man goes away empty, and Jesus remarks that the cards are stacked against him. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The first will be last. But this passage also gives us another snapshot of the first-shall-be-last principle in action. And that is a second rich man. The second rich man was the firstborn of all creation, but entered the world in the last days foretold by Isaiah in a lowly manger. He was rich in mercy, but became poor for our sake. He knew the meaning of giving things up. Being in very nature God, he humbled himself, making himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant who could point humbly to the Father, saying, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. This second rich man gave his 
whole self away, showing us a generosity so pure, so radical, so unanticipated, so, humanly speaking, utterly impossible that it could only be the work of God. He gave out all he possessed, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, touching the untouchable, ultimately giving his very life even to the point of a humiliating death on the cross. And this second rich man, he looked on us with love. He came to live with us, to walk alongside us, saying, come, follow me. This second rich man ends the story in a way that the first rich man never could on his own. He fulfills every dimension of the challenge he issued to the first rich man, showing in deed as well as in word just how much is possible in a human life fully surrendered to God. What must we do to inherit eternal life? Jesus Christ, the truly rich man who became poor for our sake, he says to us, go, sell what you own and give it to the poor. Then come, follow me. He invites us to come like little children to taste eternal life at his table to live alongside him where all things are possible. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.